Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cornwall Insights' latest podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the impact of ESG investing on pensions in particular. According to PwC, ESG fund assets under management will reach over 50% of total European mutual fund assets by 2025, with European ESG assets totaling between 5.5 trillion euros and 7.6 trillion euros by 2025. And the UK is clearly determined to secure leadership in everything related to ESG investment and green finance, with upcoming initiatives such as the issuance of the first Green Guild, mandatory disclosures by 2025, and the publication of a UK taxonomy. Today, we will focus on key market participants such as pensions, of course. I am Dana Sori, research partner at Conwell Insight, and I am delighted to be here today with our guests, Tags and Sasha. You're welcome to introduce yourselves. Okay, hello. Um, I'm Sasha Butterworth. I'm National Head of Pensions at TLT, and I um, advise pension boards and employers on ECG governance and compliance. I'll hand over to Tags. Hi, everyone. I'm Tags Harding. I'm a director at ITS. So I'm an independent trustee on a range of different pension schemes, mostly in the defined benefit space, but I also do a bit in defined contribution and master trust as well. Um, With my other hat on, I I chair the APPT, that's the Association of Professional Pension Trustees uh, Committee on ESG and Climate Change. So this is a topic very close to my heart. Brilliant. Thanks both. Uh, We are really glad to have you here. And I have a first question um, for tags. So uh, just to get started, how quickly are things are moving in the UK in terms of the growth of ESG investing? And as we are coming out, uh, hopefully, of the pandemic, what will be the key drivers for ESG investment? Yeah, I mean, the pace of change uh, in this area has been absolutely phenomenal. Going back a few years, um, it would only be um, the very niche managers in this space that would be talking about this topic. And now it's absolutely everyone. Investment managers will all claim that they um, you know, have this at the heart of the way they invest. Um, similarly, with pension scheme agendas, um, it might have got mentioned at sort of five minutes at the back end of an investment meeting a few years ago. But roll forward to today and you're having... Um, whole meetings dedicated to this topic. So it's definitely accelerating. And I think that's coming from from regulatory change, but also from just wider public awareness. Um, You're getting pressure from members, um, but just more and more in the press about it. Things like COP26 are definitely sort of raising everybody's interest in this kind of topic. And a question uh, people usually ask, is there a tension between investing uh, in ESG, uh, kind of ESG compliant investment and delivering the same returns? Or do you see a trade off between the two? I think this is definitely one area where the conversations moved on a little bit. I think now most people that I talk to, um, particularly in the pensions industry, are aware that climate change is one of the many financial risks um, that is going to be faced by their their asset portfolio. And and that that risk is is obviously going to impact returns. And that's coming through things like policy change as we move towards a net zero target by by 2050 um, in the UK, by things like stranded assets, um, and then even um, more than that, by things like uh, extreme weather. So... I think it's it's very much um, seen as one of the risks that, that pension trustees now have to manage. OK, so Tegs, I'm um, just talking about returns. Um, we hear a lot about um, greeniums, a lot of jargon quite often um, 
around this topic. Can you tell us a bit more about greeniums, what they are, what they could be used for? Yeah, so greeniums is, is a term usually applied to the green bond market. That has been established for some time in, in Europe. So it's about a trillion dollars worldwide. Um, but it's obviously much newer to the, to the UK, with the UK launching its first green gilts just this year. Um, and a greenium refers to the fact that investors um, would be prepared to pay a little bit more if they knew that the proceeds of those those bonds were going to be um, invested in, in something that is responsible. So um, renewable infrastructure it would just be, be one example of that. Typically, at the moment, it isn't very much. It's, you know, between one and three basis points, I would say. And what I've heard from the investment management community is they're very much open to um, putting these bonds in portfolios and they will just do the assessment like they would with any other bond as to, you know, what's best to put in the portfolio, considering the risk and return needs and then also the investors' other objectives. So responsible investment and, and climate being two of those so I suppose so. Just just to say that you know it's literally it's literally that isn't it? It's green premium. So then it's greenium. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So moving on. Um, just looking at the pension sector, how is it going to be impacted by the tax taxonomy and mandatory disclosures that are coming down the track? Yeah. So I think the the mandatory disclosures are definitely a good thing. Um, they're getting um ESG and climate change on pension scheme agendas, which is brilliant. I think you can't get away from the fact, though, that it is going to require a step change in the level of investment governance for the majority of schemes. Um, the very largest with their in-house teams are obviously all over this kind of thing already, um, not least because they have to go first with the, the climate reporting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's definitely going to be be a lot of work um, and looking things in a slightly different way for the majority of everybody else. So that's, yeah, there's plen plenty for people to get, <laughs> have to get, get sort of up to speed with on this. So um, just sort of based on that, how, how would, um, you know, how does the trustee board sort of look at their ESG investment strategy? And I suppose just thinking about the, the core criteria and how do you measure this? I think this measurement's a real issue for people to think about. Yeah, I mean, data is a, is a real issue at the moment, um, particularly around things uh, on carbon emissions. Everybody sort of discloses slightly different uh, metrics, and that makes you know monitoring it, it hard uh, from a trustee perspective. But I think it's one of those areas where you definitely can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You know, there is data out there that we can start taking action based on. Um, so let's just get going and just accept the fact that our, our metrics and measurement systems are going to evolve over the next few years. Um, I think the consistent taxonomy um, is really going to help, particularly in the investment management industry, where, you know, at the moment, every investment manager out there will tell you that they do a great job in this space. Um, having sort of consistent frameworks and benchmarks to, to measure them against is really going to help from a trustee perspective. Yes, because obviously they've got, yes, they've got something they can look to and also look at a sort of progression as how they improve, I suppose, over time. So I suppose one question, and you, you hear people use this phrase a lot, you know, so how do you tell the difference between greenwashing and then a true ESG fund? And I suppose here I'm sort of thinking about what happens if you invest in the wrong fund as a sort of trustee board, so which claims to have ESG credentials. And I suppose I'm thinking here about the trustees' fiduciary duty to act in members' best interests. So how do you, there's a lot of questions there, but uh, shall we unpick it? Yeah, so greenwashing um, is a really hard topic for trustees. And it's where, you know, most trustees are going to be really leaning on their advisors to help them um, tell apart those who are talking a good game and those who are actually genuinely investing in this kind of way. 
Um, generally, though, in my experience, um, when you start to interrogate managers a little bit on what they're doing under the bonnet, it's quite easy to tell apart those who are, are talking a good game. Um, one of the things I did on um, a big scheme that I work on that has a, a net zero target by 2035 is simply um, get a list together working with the company's head of UK sustainability on the things that they'd rather not see in the portfolio, just to get a snapshot today of where we are relative to our carbon emissions and things like that. Giving that wish list to the investment managers and then simply asking them to portion their portfolio up against that list. It was really telling who could do that easily and, um, you know, who pushed back to say, actually, that, that, you know, they don't look at things in that way. And that's a great way of telling who's telling you the truth on how yeah, much. They also, I mean, I, I thought from an investment manager's perspective, it helps them because they can they can then position themselves for that trustee board. So I think that's that's a good a good tip there. So. Just, I suppose, just picking up on some tips then, and um, what makes a real difference in terms of making progress sort of, and I suppose also thinking about the key bottlenecks. So, you know, we don't want this to become ESG compliance to become a tick box exercise, but what are the key bottlenecks that you're seeing at the moment? So my, my top tip, um, not a bottleneck, but the, the way to get um, progress most quickly, in my experience, is actually engaging with the sponsor on this. More mm-hmm. and more, I am seeing um, pressure from the sponsor to align the pension scheme with how they're running their business in terms of their own sort of net zero targets. And I think that is coming from a lot of companies now are seeing um, a reduction in the cost of their own debt if they can show that they're um, meeting certain ESG or responsible investment targets themselves. So this is a really common thing to be discussing in boardrooms now. So as as a trustee, starting to have that conversation with the sponsor really gets things moving quite quickly. And that's, you know, and I think that's good because that's something that, you know, you need both the board, the trustee board and the employer, the sponsor working together to deliver on this so that, you know, it's something that really is um, delivering an outcome together. Okay. Well, that's that's really helpful. I think, Dan, I was going to pass back to you now. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Sasha. So, of course, green finance is about both uh, uh, greening finance and financing green. So, um, on the latter in particular, how should funds position themselves to uh, attract ESG investment from uh, pension schemes? I think it's a a really good question and it depends on the asset class that you're talking about. Um, Some are going to kind of naturally lend themselves to to this and and you'll have um, those sort of large schemes that want to make an impact with their investments so approaching them almost. Uh, renewable infrastructure would be, you know, a really good example of that. But then, you know, with the more um, sort of common asset classes, equities, uh, buy and maintain bonds, that sort of thing, um, it's about making sure that you communicate your ESG and um, you know, green credentials really clearly, that that can be sort of evidence to your investment advisors and ultimately to, to members as well so that you can show that the the way that you're investing is making a difference. And more broadly, how do you see the future role of pension funds in funding infrastructure as well as uh, sustainable energy projects? It's definitely the mood music from the DWP and, and actually government more broadly that they want to use pension fund assets to help finance some of these initiatives, uh, which I think is a really good one. We've obviously got some, some barriers to overcome in terms of um, just the 
the way things are, are done from an operational perspective at the moment, particularly in the defined contribution space where investing in long-term illiquid assets is a challenge. But I think we're getting there on overcoming some of those challenges. And, and there's definitely going to be an increasing pressure from members um, who ultimately are going to have their savings invested for you know, 20, 30, even 40 years. Um, but they're going to increasingly want their money invested in this way. So uh, it's definitely going to be an area that grows in the future. And I have a question for Sasha. Yeah. Uh, I'm a bit curious to understand better what's happening um, elsewhere outside uh, outside the UK from, from a regulatory point of view. Well, that's, that's a really interesting question, Daniel. So I suppose from a pensions regulatory perspective, we tend to look to the US and to Australia to basically see what's coming down the track for the UK. And I think um, an interesting recent case that happened in Australia in 2018 um, was brought by a member, Mr. McVeigh, against the trustee board of the Retail Employees Superannuation Trust. And he basically alleged that the board had breached its fiduciary duties and they've not really thought about the risk that climate change posed to the fund's investments. So, you know, that's a really interesting um, case. Um, from, a, from a legal perspective, um, it's interesting because it didn't create a legal precedent because they actually settled on the first day of the court hearing. But after that, the trustee board did release a statement acknowledging climate risks in its portfolio. And then they agreed to a long term 2050 net zero target. So I think this is a sort of an example where we can see which way the wind is blowing and the standards that trustee boards are probably going to have to need to meet over time. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic because um, a lot of the public pressure that you're getting is actually around divestment. So not investing in things like fossil fuels in the portfolio at all. Yeah. Whereas I think most trust, trustee boards, um, particularly those that are investing for the longer term, want to find ways of using their sort of collective voice to influence what companies are doing. So much more um, on the engagement over divestment. And I think there's a little bit of tension there when it's uh, you get a lot of pressure coming from, from members. Yeah, and there's also that issue around, do you sort of stay invested and say so you try and change from the inside or do you divest and, you know, try and put the pressure from externally so it's always an interesting conundrum that I think. Yeah it is and I think um, certainly you know I, I agree with the sort of clear message on this that's coming out of bodies like the DWP in that it's, it has to be staying invested and trying to influence because there will always be other investors that don't hold themselves to these same standards so if you want to make an impact in the real world it has to be through through using your your collective voice to, yeah. to try and influence change. That's a very, very interesting dynamic. And looking a bit uh, ahead, because of course, COP26 um, is taking place in a few months. Sasha, on the legal side, yeah. are there any um, specific regulatory and legal updates people should be monitoring and any requirements in particular coming up in the next few months? Sure. So um, I think a good starting point for people to be aware of is there's going to be these new requirements for the um, TCFD um, disclosures. So that's the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures. And that comes into force on the 1st of October 2021. So just in broad terms, that will apply to schemes with assets of more than five billion. So really the very, very large schemes, which Texas talked about earlier, saying that, you know, the big schemes are already all over this. And but it also will apply to all authorised master trusts. So there's no relevant sort of asset limit there. And then looking ahead from the 1st of October 2022, 
that will apply to schemes with assets of more than one billion. Now, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I think this will start accelerating and come down to the smaller schemes, probably faster than we might have initially have anticipated. What trustees must do is they've got to produce a TCFD report um, within seven months of the end of the scheme year. And that's got to be on a publicly available website and be free of charge. So anyone can go and look at that. So that that will be quite interesting to see what starts coming out there. And then I'd just say just a, a wider point to make is just as Tegs has said already, the speed of compliance and the new legislation, the regulatory requirements on climate change, they're coming down the track here, are just coming out so quickly. Just keep an eye on um, DWP, TPR, so the pensions regulation and FCA consultations, lots of acronyms there, um, and look at the responses to these. We're going to be doing a summary on the TLT website um, around these. So just to really make people aware of what they have to do and when. So yeah, lots to lots to focus on, plenty to read over the summer. Excellent. Thank you. And again, um, looking forward, um, uh, what do you think will be the key developments uh, for pension schemes in particular over the next uh, 12, 13 months? Right. I'll kick off first. And uh, I think from my perspective, I think there's just going to be um, more and more pressure from scheme members, especially millennials who want to ensure that, as Tags was talking about before, that they're you know, their money is being invested sustainably rather than just for a quick return, which could be quite volatile. And I think the other issue I would say is more around, I think there will be more legal challenges on how pension schemes are invested, as has happened in the McVeigh case that I mentioned. So I just think that trustee boards have to be much more aware of their positioning and be aware that, you know, they may suddenly need some PR support as well. Uh, which again means, you know, with that alignment, perhaps, you know, working together with the employer is really important. Those are my sort of probably key ones that I'm thinking about at the moment. Yeah, I think just to, to add to that, I think everybody at the moment is focused on the climate change disclosures in particular. And that's just because that deadline of, of October is looming. I think as we move into next year, what you're going to see is people start to use that data uh, in anger. Uh, and you'll start to see um, actual changes in the way that, that pension schemes are invested as a result of just being more aware of some of the risks that are sort of embedded in their portfolio at the moment. And I think particularly, Tex, as I was just saying before, you know, the fact that a lot of this information is going to be publicly available is going to be interesting to see how that comes through. Yeah. And when you look at things like um, the, the TPR consultation that's out at the moment around the take up and use of TCFD reporting, it's clear that they expect people to actually use it. So I think more and more people will start making changes as a result, result of this. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, thanks a lot, Sasha and Tags. Uh, it was great to have you with us today and to hear about the key drivers and developments in ESG investing and their impact on the pension sector. Of course, we will keep monitoring this sector uh, very closely as COP26 uh, approaches. Thanks a lot for your attention and have a great day. Thank you.